Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out the challenges of signing Mississippians up for health care through the Affordable Care Act. In our Everyday Tech segment, learn how to spot the current threats of malware and ways to fend them off. And as the number of West Nile virus cases go up, Mississippians are hoping colder temperatures will offer some relief. Details from the state's epidemiologist. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Despite efforts to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, Mississippians will have the opportunity to sign up for insurance coverage. President Donald Trump has issued an executive order that makes cuts to states and stops subsidies to insurance companies. The University of Southern Mississippi is gearing up for the 2018 enrollment period. The school partners with the city of Hattiesburg to sign Mississippians up for health insurance. Michael Forster is Dean Emeritus of the College of Health at USM. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier enrollment will begin despite budget cuts and confusion. It runs November 1st through December 15th, which I would interject is a shortened open enrollment period. This is about half. I think it ran last year like 92 days, and this year it's only going to run 45 days. That is one of the the new measures that was taken by the current administration to uh, curtail that, along with other measures like reducing the advertising budget, which makes it more difficult for people to know about the open enrollment period. And, I mean, we could go into some detail about some of the other measures that have been taken that certainly seem designed to sabotage enrollment under the Affordable Care Act. Can you mention them briefly? I mentioned two of the big ones just now. The open enrollment period has been cut in half. Also, the Washington Post reported a couple of weeks back that the website that is used uh, during the open enrollment period for people to actually enroll which has been available 24 hours a day, seven days a week in past enrollment periods, is going to be somewhat, those hours are going to be somewhat curtailed all but one Sunday during the open enrollment period. There will be 12-hour blocks that the website will be down for maintenance. So maybe it needs to be down for maintenance, but it's rather curious that along with an open enrollment curtailment, of the whole period, there's also going to be a curtailment in the hours that the website is going to be available. There's been reduced advertising for the availability of opportunities to find insurance 
in the federal marketplaces. And that is a drastic cut. I mean, it was cut 90% from $100 million to $10 million. The overall budget cut for navigator programs nationwide was cut 40% this last year. And individual grants have been cut dramatically across a broad range. You had a few states that got no cuts. You had some states that took enormous cuts. Mississippi took a pretty hefty cut overall, almost 60% in the funding. It's part of the ACA to have these navigators trained who can help people link to appropriate insurance. So this was a key part of the act's intent to get more people covered by insurance. I know that our program here at Southern Miss took a minimal cut. We had about a $30,000 cut, which amounted to about 6%, I think, of our budget. So you asked, what are we going to be able to do? We're going to be able to do pretty much everything we had planned to do, which is to continue to uh, do outreach in the 24 counties that are in our area, which are all in the southern part of the state. We're going to continue to try train, to, to train up other navigators, agency personnel, volunteers who want to help with this process. Well, we're going to have to curtail with what was about a $30,000 cut to our total budget. We're going to have to curtail some of the outreach we would have done post-enrollment period. But when you consider the scope of the national cut, 40% cut in that one program, which was designed to provide the linkage of individuals who are eligible with, first of all, to help them determine if they are eligible, and then to help them link with appropriate plans. It's really put quite a dent into those efforts. I know that some agencies, particularly smaller agencies throughout the country, have actually folded their tents because they can't operate with the cuts. There was also quite a shock that came the very day before the new fiscal year was to begin in September. We had already received our notice of award, and we had been told that we would have the same amount this year as last year. The day before the new grant period was to begin, we were notified by memorandum that the uh, Health and Human Services was rescinding the earlier notices of award, and they were going to issue new ones based on a review of performance. So this was very disruptive. The cost-sharing subsidies. Yeah, now the cost-sharing subsidies. Will they impact Mississippians? Oh, my God, yes. If the cost shares go away completely, and, of course, that remains a bit of an unknown. I mean, the president's executive order said they're gone. We're not going to do this. However, the cost-sharing reductions are built into the Affordable Care Act, which is still the law of the land. So my understanding is that several states have already moved to litigate over this. Now, I understand that doesn't impact low-income tax credits. It doesn't affect tax credits, but it affects the direct coverage that would be available for people to get insurance. I think our own insurance commissioner, Mr. Cheney, has indicated that he anticipated this. Uh, He actually had directed uh, Magnolia and Better, the one provider we have now in the state, to submit their requests for premium increases based on the expectation that the president would move 
to kill the cost share. So do you anticipate people signing up for the insurance? The uncertainty is a major factor, and the uncertainty on the part of uh, individuals parallels the uncertainty of the insurance companies themselves. It's hard to, you know, not infer that that's part of the intention of all this, to royal the insurance markets, to create uncertainty on the part of consumers, and thereby to further, you know, undercut the appeal of the, you know, much maligned Obamacare. Dean Emeritus Michael Forrester with USM's College of Health, we really appreciate Uh uh, your explaining this and giving us some overview of of what is going on and what we can anticipate down the line. Mm -hmm. Glad to do it. The State Department of Insurance estimates about 32,000 Mississippians currently receive health care through the Affordable Care Act. Jamison Taylor is president of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. He tells our Desiree Frazier he wants government and large insurers out of the health insurance business. President Trump's decision is he's obligated to make this decision because the subsidies are illegal. The U.S. House sued over this illegal funding. The federal court agreed, and it's the right thing for the president to end these subsidies because that is what is legal. What is the impact for Mississippians in your estimation? To begin with, it's it's always good for Mississippi when the federal government agrees to follow the law. We are a, a nation that's based on the rule of law, and that's something that we need to preserve. That is really the most important thing. But I think that what we need to look at is who benefits from these subsidies. Insurance companies are those that benefit most. These are backdoor um, payments to insurance companies. They're what they really are, profit protection plans for insurance companies. And as a result of the system that has been created, consumers don't have a lot of choice. We don't have enough high-quality insurance products here in Mississippi. Obamacare has really stifled that market. And I think the best thing that can happen is for us to press the reset button, and that is what the president is trying to do by ending these illegal subsidies. One benefit of the Affordable Care Act has been being able to get coverage despite having pre-existing conditions. Thirty percent of non-elderly adults in Mississippi have a pre-existing condition, and this is going to affect them being able to get uh, insurance coverage. So I can certainly share uh, the concern of those with pre-existing conditions. Uh, My wife had pre-existing conditions that made it difficult for us to get insurance as well. I want to be clear that what the subsidies do, that they are payments to insurance companies to cover, for instance, deductibles and co-pays. And so that's why I refer to the subsidies as profit protection plans. What we're seeing on the insurance market in Mississippi are very high price plans with high deductibles that people cannot even use. And so you see people, uh, low-income families are are facing, uh, they have insurance plans with, for instance, a $13,000 a year deductible. When you have that kind of deductible, that means you don't really have insurance. And so uh, what happens is that the insurance companies are offering, offering insurance products that no one wants, and then the government is coming along and paying for uh, additional subsidies for those insurance plans to make them usable to the consumers in the first place. Well, the real solution is to get rid of the bad insurance plans and replace them with plans that people can actually use. And when we do that, we're going to be able to create better plans that can be used to solve the problem of those with pre-existing conditions.
Well, in Mississippi, you have a large undereducated population, low-income population that would not be able to navigate all of those things. So what do we do in Mississippi to help people be insured? Well, I think that gets back to the best way to educate people uh, in the insurance market is actually pricing because everyone understands prices. I mean, everyone knows that, okay, well, if I want to get the latest iPhone, I understand that this one costs more than that one, and this one has these features and not these features, and everyone is able to engage in that kind of trade-off between pricing and quality. Likewise, with healthcare, if we had pricing, then consumers could make those decisions, and it doesn't matter what your education level is. Everyone understands the price. I really think that the thing that is making insurance so complicated for people right now are the insurance companies and the government. So you would be glad to see um, the Affordable Care Act, known as Obamacare, go away completely and let this last enrollment period and the program run through next year and then be done with it? I think we do need a transition period in which we are uh, particularly vigilant to protect the safety net for people that really need it. So there are just so many features of Obamacare uh, that are bad for healthcare quality and access that, yes, I think we need to press the reset button, need to start over and bring some better ideas to the table. Well, we appreciate you, Mr. Taylor, Jameson Taylor, for being with us. Thank you very much. Coming up on Everyday Tech, learn how to spot the current threats of malware and ways to fend them off. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College, joins me and answers questions about credit, investing, saving for retirement, and all things finance. Also, we invite you to call in and share your successes in navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wills Couture and Jeremy Thompson. And today we're discussing malware, how to spot current threats, and ways to fend them off. So guys, when we say malware, what exactly are we talking about? Well, really the term malware is short for malicious software. And the way I really tend to think about it is it's kind of an umbrella term for all of those different malicious items that manage to make it onto our tech device. Also, it's probably the most annoying thing that people encounter on their computers from day to day because it can pop up anywhere. It can be a a random pop-up on your computer or you could be up on the Internet or, or clicking on something in your email and it can pop up. So knowing what it is and knowing how to uh, treat the problem is definitely something that everybody with a, an electronic device needs to know. When you start seeing a slowing down phone, a slowing down computer, a slowing down laptop, typically malware is going to be to blame for that. How do we recognize malicious programs and links in email or on the web? My policy is don't click on links in your email unless you know the person and the email looks like something that they would send you. You can kind of tell how people send their emails. I always write mine like a form letter, so I have a salutation and all that. So if you got something from me that says, check this out, that is suspect. The the best rule of thumb, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to uh, links, whether they're an email or even on the web, is if I'm going somewhere, especially if I'm going somewhere that has my personal or financial information, I don't click a link. 
I'm going to type it in myself. If I'm going to my bank, I'm going to type my bank's name in rather than follow any link that I'll ever see in an email. Absolutely. Um, you always want to make sure that the link that you're if, – if you're going to click on the link, you need to make sure that it's actually going to the address that appears because it's possible for them to make it look like it's going to Google when it's really going to something else completely different. Um, it's possible to uh, put your mouse over the link and you can actually see where it's going to take you or you could also copy the link address and put it in uh, – paste it into Word or Notepad or something and see where it's actually going. Yeah, that's a very, very common trick that folks will do. You may be thinking you're going one place, but you totally end up somewhere else. Um, and a lot of times you don't realize it until it's too late. One very common way that it's been spreading lately is by people uh, receiving an invoice from somebody they know. And so they click on it because they're like, well, what did they send me this for? And as soon as you click on that invoice, they got you too. And they get in your email and they get your address book and they send it out to all your people too. So what are some effective apps for defending your tech? So Wilson and I really believe in two apps that are out there right now. Um, you've got Avast Antivirus, which we talk about all the time. Uh, it's a great free program. It's also the number one virus protection on the planet. It keeps you protected from most of the things that are out there. Uh, the other one, Wilts, Malwarebytes. Oh, Malwarebytes is just, it's been a, uh, a resident in the stable for quite a while. It just does an extremely effective job at actually tending to removing and just cleaning up from any kind of malware infections. So what do you do if you have become infected? My, my first recommendation, if you already have these programs downloaded on your computer and you've got them updated, disconnect from the Internet. A lot of malware actually uses your Internet connection to power itself. So if you're not on the Internet, then it keeps those pop-ups from coming up when you're removing different programs. That's a good first step. Then definitely run the scam with Malwarebytes first and then uh, run it again after that to make sure that it comes up with zero infections. If you're still noticing any kind of slowdowns or you're still suspect of your computer possibly still being infected, uh, at that particular point would probably be when I would say you'd want to reach out to an IT professional. So, Michelle, when we're talking about malware, we like to go with the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You do not need to wait for these things to become problems on your computer. You can install these programs now and nip it in the bud before it becomes a massive problem for you. That's true, Jeremy. And if you feel you have been compromised, we need to always remember there are over-the-counter cures for your computer woes. Just like if you're walking down the aisle of your local pharmacy and you see plenty of home remedies, there are several remedies out there for what may be ailing your computer. We will talk more about malware on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. With 60 confirmed cases of West Nile virus in the state to date, Mississippi cases have exceeded the total for all of last year. State health officials say they're eager to see the peak season come to an end in Mississippi 
It usually comes from or runs from July through September. The mosquito-borne illness is already responsible for two fatalities, according to the State Department of Health. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says even if you haven't heard of a case in your area, you still need to be careful. He tells us the latest on the outlook for this year. Well, we are up to 60 uh, cases of of reported West Nile uh, so far in 2017. Um, You know, we've passed the time of year when we see most of our activity, um, and we're starting to get into the time where um, we start seeing fewer cases occurring and being reported. Um, So, We hope that we're getting out of the big part of the West Nile season now. There are already more cases this year than there were for all of 2016. Is there a specific reason for that? I mean, is it weather-related, rain-related? I wish that we knew all of the factors that go into um, what makes one season uh, for West Nile uh, more severe than the next season. Uh, We do know that we have some fluctuations and variability in the number of cases that can be reported each year. Uh, We know that it can, that weather can certainly uh, play a part in in the transmission of West Nile. Uh, We also know that since West Nile is maintained in a bird mosquito cycle, the um, amount of birds that you have that are susceptible to West Nile can also influence uh, whether or not there's enough West Nile circulating uh, that uh, would result in human infections. But we don't know all of the factors that go into that. What we do know is that we see some variability from year to year. What about the location? I noticed that Hines County has had more infections reported than others. Is that because reportings are higher, or is there a reason why there might be more mosquito bites in Hines County? You know, we tend to see most of our cases of West Nile from central Mississippi south. So, you know, it's not unexpected to see uh, a certain number of cases in Hines County, especially with it being the largest population center in Mississippi. We tend to see a lot more West Nile cases reported from the areas where we have most of the people living. But it's also important to understand that we have identified uh, West Nile cases in all counties in Mississippi except for Issaquina. And so um, West Nile can occur in any area, in any part of the state. And so when we report a case of West Nile, even if it's not in your county, that doesn't mean that there's not mosquitoes there that could potentially spread it. So we want everybody to take precautions, regardless of where we say that West Nile case is occurring. You said it starts to slow down as the temperatures cool. What happens when it actually freezes or gets very, very cold? Will mosquitoes come back from that, or do we wait till next spring? You know, some mosquitoes can die. Certainly we know that in Mississippi with our mild uh, winters that we have that some mosquitoes can overwinter, and um, some of those mosquitoes may be infected with West Nile and can transmit that. We know that we've had West Nile transmitted in Mississippi as late as December, and as early as January. So, you know, we can have warm snaps even during the winter where we know that mosquitoes can become active. Certainly, the activity of mosquitoes slows down once we get uh, to 50 degrees or below. But with our very mild winters in, in Mississippi, we know that there still is a risk for West Nile virus to occur. Do people need to take the same precautions? Do they still need to 
you know, use the bug spray? Do they still need to cover their arms and legs at all times? Yeah, you know, we recommend those same precautions. And one of the big precautions that people need to always take care of is making sure that you look around your house and get rid of any areas where the mosquitoes that transmit West Nile can breed because they can breed in very small collections of water. And so it's important that you you get rid of any standing water on your property, you clean out your gutters, you make sure that there's not any standing water in old tires or in overturned children's pools uh, in your backyard or anything else that can hold water. You want to dump that out. You want to get rid of that. And that's regardless of the time of year because you don't want to have places in your yard or around your home where mosquitoes can breed, especially as we, as we, we know that we can have warm snaps during our winter time. When that temperature gets above 50 degrees, we know that these mosquitoes may potentially be active. So you still want to protect yourself regardless of the time of year. Dr. Paul Byers is the state's epidemiologist. Thank you, Dr. Byers. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.